Hello and welcome to Krebcast. Krebcast is a podcast created by the Calgary Real Estate Board for its members. Each episode will cover a variety of topics geared towards Krebs members. We'll talk about how the market is doing, provide board updates, and discuss other topics of importance to our members. And I'm your host, Leah Cameron. I'm a communications advisor here at Kreb, and I'm excited to be part of this new venture. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Kreb's chief economist, Anne-Marie Lurie, who is going to give us an update on the state of the real estate market in Calgary and surrounding area, and tell us what we can expect heading into spring, summer, and beyond. Welcome, Anne-Marie. I'm so glad that we could have you in today. Thank you. So we're going to be discussing the market a little bit. Um, I know this is <laughs> something you've been talking about a lot lately. You've been on quite the speaking tour, so I'm glad that we could snag you and uh, have you in. <laughs> For sure. So I guess we'll start things off. If you could just if you could um, use one word to describe the market in Calgary, uh, what what word would you use? Well, confining me to one word is always a little difficult. Yeah. But- <laughs> Um, I think we can, I, I would say it's still challenging. Okay. Um, yeah, we still ha- are struggling with many of the same problems that we've had yeah. over the past several years. I right. mean, and there's been no real change in the overall economic climate. Um, and, you know, this year has definitely started off slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that was really what we were expecting. What's the short-term market outlook? Like, what can we expect uh, can we expect sales to pick up heading into spring and summer as they traditionally do? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Okay. okay. So so one thing I often, um, people will look at, you know, month-to-month changes. And, and I avoid doing that because there's seasonal factors in the right. data. So, so I always try and compare it to, well, how does this spring look compared to other springs? Okay. Right? So I try and compare. That's why you always see me talk about those year-over-year changes. Because then we're looking at the same type of uh, market conditions, especially when we're dealing with things like sales. Now, as we've seen, the first quarter of the year, sales are still lower than what they were last year and well below what is typical for our market. Um, and that is something that, you know, we did expect sales to really be quite weak this year. Um, I do think that we might see some pickup um, in terms of year-over-year changes okay. as we move through the year. But this is not a dramatic change. It's still well below what is normal for our level. It's a low level of sales, and we don't really expect that to change. What I am starting to see as really something that is going to be an interesting change is that the new listings are starting to adjust. Okay. Um, Because one of the challenges that we face is if demand is slow, um, but supply adjusts to it, then you don't have falling prices, right? Right. But in the case that we've been in is we've just had too much supply in the market, and the listings have continued to rise, um, adding to that additional supply. We're starting to see some adjustments in new listings, um, and that is, you know, somewhat expected. I mean, if people can't get the price that they were expecting, um, they're starting to be more realistic about, you know, what their home will sell for. They might choose to pull off their listings. We're seeing a bit of that now. Um, and that should at least help with some of the oversupply issues okay. as we move into further into the spring. Now, is it going to erase all the oversupply? No, um, that's going to take a lot longer. There still is a lot of inventory in the market. Um, but I at least look at that as a way to help it yes. um, and put us in a better position as we move into next year. Um, but it's going to take some time. Right, of course. And looking, I guess, longer term, um, 
can we expect things to turn around in the long term? Or is this really just the new normal almost? Uh, well, that depends on a couple things. Okay. Um, there's never uh, there's never a straight answer for yeah, that. Yeah, so, of course. So, so the way I look at it is there's, there's a few factors to do that. First of all, to get longer-term growth and see some changes um, on a more – like to start to see things look more uh, what people are used to, mm-hmm. we need to see a turnaround in the economy. Right. So we need to see that shift in employment. We need to see improvements in employment growth. We need to see it – and not just employment growth created from like, created from industry. Okay, so we haven't had a lot of that to date. So when that starts to turn around, then you could start to see some, some more improvements in demand. Now, we – Currently, we're in a we're in a state where we're not really seeing that over the the near term. So employment levels are supposed to be really fairly similar to last year. We're still struggling with high unemployment. So right now, this is the new norm, um, and it's really a matter of if supply adjusts um, and if it continues to adjust, then we could start to see at least prices stop falling, right? And that's really when when we think about what generally matters to consumers, it's prices, right? Um, It's what everybody tends to focus on. So prices are falling right now because our market is oversupplied on the whole. Um, Obviously, there's differences between segments, but um, our prices continue to fall because there's too much supply. Well, if that supply continues to adjust to these lower levels of demand, then you could start to see some stability in pricing. now, again, I don't expect that to really happen much this year. I think right. that's something looking forward. Yeah. Um, and any sort of shift in our economy that starts to improve and impact demand, that can help. Of course. Right? So that, that really affects the timing. So let's say things do start to improve by the end of the year, and it's why we constantly monitor these indicators, and I want to see how that job market is doing. Yeah. If there's a shift and it starts to improve sooner than expected, well, that can start to influence demand quicker. Right now, the expectation is it's not going to be right away. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the kind of things that we look for when we think about how the market and, and timing of when things will start to shift. Okay. Very interesting. I guess getting more um, specific about the market in Calgary right now, um, what, what's the difference uh, in the detached uh, versus attached versus apartment sectors? Is one doing better than the other others uh, at the moment? <laughs> Are they all equally? Well, I think it depends yeah. on, on how you define better. Because um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think with any market, um, I, one thing I, it's important to remember, there's trends of what's, how the market's moving. But in any market, there's opportunities for both buyers and sellers. Right. Right. Now, Obviously, with oversupply, that means that it's more of a buyer's market versus a seller's market. But if let's look at just generally what the trends are doing. Um, so in the in the detached market, um, this has been a big change, and this has really started since last year, that we haven't seen this level of oversupply for quite some time, and it's influencing the prices. So we've seen um, a drop in prices that really we didn't have. Like, like so the apartment sector, prices have been falling for the better part of four years. I mean, we're talking about a 16% adjustment in price from the peak in 2014. Um, And that's because it's been oversupplied for so long. Now, when we went through the recession, the detached market actually fared fairly well. Um, But when we saw last year that, you know, things weren't getting much better, and then there was the new stress test that came in, and higher rates. Like, we can't ignore, it's not just the stress test. We had five rate increases since 2017. That is bound to affect the more expensive um, 
homes. Definitely. Right? And detached falls in that upper category. And we're seeing it in the detached market that it is, um, and it's infecting prices. So prices are dropping. Um, we're in that 5% decline over last year. Um, currently sitting about 9% lower than they were at the high. And again, that's aggregate. Of course, everyone says, well, I know there's price drops that are higher and lower. Yeah. And I'd say it really depends on your community and, the, and, and things are different. But on an aggregate, which is what we measure, that's what we're seeing. But there's also a difference between the detached sector. So one thing to note is that you know, while there's a lot more oversupply, it tends to be more in the higher price points. Okay. Whereas what I'm starting to see shift this year is that the more affordable product in the detached sector is actually doing well. So we actually have seen sales improve in the lower end of the market. Now, again, that doesn't really come as a surprise because when you've made adjustments to um, lending requirements and you've got higher rates, it pushes people down to what they can afford. So they might not be able to afford that $550,000 home, now they might be looking in that 400 range or 450 range. So it changes that. And what we're seeing is a bit of tightening in that lower end of the market. So I would expect that price trends for the most affordable product will be very different than what we see in the higher price ranges. Because when you look at certain indicators like months of supply or sales to new listings ratio, it's a very different story in the lower end. Now, so that's one thing we're seeing in the detached. Um, the apartment sector, as I said before, there's really been no change. Um, the challenge in that market for apartment condominiums is you are, you are also competing with a lot of new home product. Right. So there's a lot of new condominiums out there that that is really the competition. Yeah. Um, and, you know, typically that new product offers lower condo fees yeah. and things like that. So that factors into people's decisions. Um, and, and there still is just too much supply on the resale side. Right. So that market, we it's no different than really what I've been saying for the better part of four years there. So, yeah. Um, now attached, again, it's a little different. So attached, you got the row and the semi. Um, the row tends to behave a little bit more like the apartment sector. The semi behaves a little bit more like detached. Okay. Now, again, we're seeing some similar trends there that in the lower price ranges of the attached product, we're seeing improvements in sales. Um, and again, because it's more affordable. Right. So so I think we're starting to see that movement in the affordable part of the market, um, with the exception of condos for different reasons. Right. Okay. So um part of that's due to the competition. So again, different trends depending on where you're at. And and it's not necessarily just the most affordable in the city, but for every community, take a look at what that most affordable product is and you'll see a difference in the trends. Um, like when I look at it on district level. Um, what is most affordable in the city center will be different than what's the most affordable in, um, like, let's say the Northwest or those areas. So each of those um, segments of the market have their own unique trends, and it's important to look at those. Definitely. That's really great to know. And then looking at, I guess, looking outside of Calgary and some of the surrounding areas like Airdrie, um, Chestermere, what's what's the market looking like there? Is it kind of the same thing? It really just depends on the area? Again, it depends on yeah. the area. So you can apply a blanket. So, I mean, oftentimes people say, well, this is what's happening in Calgary. We, we don't ignore the surrounding areas. They also have their own trends. Now, a lot of them are still struggling with the same sort of thing of oversupply. And in a lot of those 
surrounding areas, um, you have to be really aware of the new pro- new home supply. Now, the good thing is we're seeing some of the builders scale back in some of those areas. Um, so that will put less pressure on those markets moving forward, but they still need to work through some of their, their supply challenges. Um, you know, in Airdrie, we're seeing, you know, some of the same pressures that we're seeing within the city. Um, now, at the same time, I mean, for all those details, you got to look at those detailed stats. Um, it just depends, right? So all of them are very unique in their own activity. And, um, you know, to go into, we'd have to go into each and every single one of them to tell you about what's going on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. We don't have time for that yet. Yeah. <laughs> the other question I had, and I guess you've touched on this a little bit, um, what are some of the, the main external factors affecting the market right now? I know you talked about the unemployment rate. Um, I'm sure the election is going to play a big part. What other things should, um, you know, should we be keeping an eye on to expect you know, expect them to make a change in the market? Um, I think there's a, f- a few aspects I look at this. Mm-hmm. So first of all, things that might affect demand. So we talked about, obviously, what's going on in the job market. That yeah. That is very – because, I mean, if you don't have a job, you're not buying homes, right? Of course, so, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and job growth can tell you a bit about how demand might change. So that's, the, that's one factor that, you know, I would say is one of the most important things to consider okay. when we look at influencers. The next thing to consider is what's happening in migration patterns and population growth. Now, we have had fairly strong migration, um, surprisingly, last year. Um, our migration numbers were far better than was expected. Um, and, of, and, and often the question becomes, well, why didn't that influence the market? Of course, right? yeah. Um, and that's where, let's look at the details within it. Most of that migration, um, by looking at a couple sources, because the city does their census, and yeah. I love their figures, it's annual, <laughs> it's great, but um, they don't tell you necessarily where those people are coming from. Okay. So most of that migration came from international sources. And because that's happened, it changes that uh, that demand pattern. So they're not necessarily purchasing a home right away. They're starting in the rental. Uh, and that's the next aspect I look at, looking at what's happening in the rental market. Now, the, again, that there is a positive sign there. We're starting to see that vacancy rates are declining in the rental market. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a sign of at least some of that excess supply in the entire housing market is, is getting, it's coming off, right? So, so that's, again, a good sign when we think about how we move forward. Now, we still have more vacancy than we have had traditionally. But when those vacancy rates start to come down, then you'll start to see a lot less incentives offered. Um, by landlords, you'll start to see maybe some room for rental rate growth. And when that starts to happen, that starts to shift that mentality of people considering ownership again, if they can move into right. it. So there's been a few things. First of all, that migration, I think most of that is reflected more in the rental market. Um, and the next aspect is when you have had the mortgage rule changes and, and stricter lending conditions, it's kept people in rental a bit longer. So that when that market starts to turn around, we might start to see that flow into ownership. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but that's a trend that I continue to watch. Um, and of course, the next thing that I, I think is important to look at is what's going on on the new home side. So what's going on under the construction component, um, especially as you're dealing with areas um, where there's that are close to a lot of those new communities, because um, that's the product that you're competing with. So what is their pricing? Um, what's their inventories like? Now, currently, the inventory is is quite high on the new home side as well. 
So when that happens, they start reducing their prices as well, as well or offering more things included and, and things like that. So that's what you're competing with. Um, so when we think about other factors influencing it, you have to consider what's on the new home side as well. Because um, it's that total supply factor. Um, and of course, the overall economy affects the demand. Um, so those are the two things that we're looking at. So obviously, and then there's the consumer confidence. Like yes. we can't ignore that. Um, and that's where other factors will come in. Um, so when we talk about changes in government, um, unless there's a, a specific policy change mm-hmm. that influences the housing market, and there has been some of that, and I can touch on that as well, um, it's also about people's viewpoint of what governments can do, right? And it can impact their feeling on, you know, does, do they feel secure about what our future looks like? Because um, if consumers aren't confident over what's going to happen in our economy in the next few years, they're not going to want to make a major purchase decision like a home. No, um, so they're going to stay. They're not going to make a lot of decisions. They're going to they're going to stay put um, when they're feeling better about what might be the outlook for the next few years, and that can start to shift their decisions. Now, we have seen a bit of a pullback. Um, now, again, some of that could be due to the fact that you know there's been a lot of real concern over what our economic prospects look like in this province um, and our city. Um, We're still hearing concerns in the energy sector. Um, And and despite any notion of, let's, diversification, I mean, it just hasn't really, like, it still influences us, right? So... Um, and you're, and there still are a lot of people who are quite concerned about will it be further layoffs. We're seeing a bit of that um, with the prices and what happened in the energy sector in the last portion of the year. That raised a lot of concerns. Yeah. Um, and, and that impacts consumer confidence. Now, you layer in the fact that, you know, not only did they have oil prices down, but now you've got production quotas. Well, if that means that energy sector is not going to be investing – um, then what opportunity for growth is there? And this is just the reality of what we're dealing with our market. And that uncertainty will influence, can influence people's decisions to move. Um, I have one fine, well, actually, I have a question from one of our members that has come in. Um, this member would like to know how HPI uh, slash the benchmark price is calculated. Um, so not to go into too much of the technicalities of it, because it, it, it really, um, the benchmark price is, is based off of the typical home. Okay. So what it does is it's similar to what members are out there doing. So you guys run a CMA and you look at, okay, this home has these features and, you know, you, you do additions or subtractions to those price based off the features and what's common in that community and based off your comparables. Well, the HPI and the benchmark is kind of doing the same thing, but it's doing it for the entire community. So it looks at the typical home for the entire community, and it looks at things like how many bedrooms does it have? What's the general size? Um, you know, is it a, you know, it breaks it out by property type. So is it a two-story? Is it a one-story? Um, and it looks at all those features and it figures out basically the pricing of all those features and puts it back in for that community. So it's like doing um, a CMA for the entire community. Okay. Right? So, so that's yeah. the way that the price is generated. And why does that matter? Well, when we think about price changes, the challenge is when you're using an average or a median price is that price can move quite a bit depending on what has sold. So if you have more homes sold in the higher price range versus the lower price range and, or you didn't have a lot of sales that month, 
then your, your average price and your median price will move around a lot. The difference with the benchmark price is because it's based off this type of home, that when you're looking at price changes, you're looking at it over the same type of home. Okay. So it smooths out some of that data. It's a better look at trends on generally understanding how price movements are, are going because you're doing the same type of comparison. Um, so it's like saying, well, here, the typical home in this community went for this price last year. Well, when you're comparing that monthly change or year-over-year change, it's for that same home. Oh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, it's a different way to look at it. Now, is it perfect? Of course not. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's a lot of things that we do to try and help you, um, try and show you how to use it and, and take it and apply it to your everyday business. Um, it's not a perfect measure, but you know what? When I, I measure all three. So one thing I encourage any member to do, graph out, and, and I do this for them. So <laughs> I guess I, I shouldn't say it. Like, it's already graphed out. If you want some extra homework, <laughs> yeah, like, like your Take own. a look at some yeah. of that stuff within the community, yeah. and you'll see how I put out the average, the median, and the benchmark together. And, and it, it really demonstrates that that benchmark is just a smoother look at price trends. It gives yeah. you a clearer picture of really what's happening with pricing. Wow. Final question for you. Um, what's your favorite area in Calgary? Or surrounding area? Um, well, the area I live in. Yeah. <laughs> Typical it is for most people. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. So I am I am not a city dweller. Ah, I am, I am okay. an outside of the city person. All um, right. Because I don't like to stare at neighbors. So, that's understandable. So I am west of the city oh, and nice. I absolutely love it out there. But again, that's yeah. a lifestyle choice for me. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that's a life for everybody. No, no, that's that's fair. But yeah. though you know the mountain view, you can't uh, compete with that. It's it, pretty it's nice. It's the space around okay, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like some land around me, yeah. so that that is definitely my preference on a different level. Yeah. Just because it's a lifestyle choice, and I think that also comes down to when people are looking for homes. So many people focus on the market conditions. Yes. Oh, the market's going up. My house is worth less. Well, are you moving? Yeah. Are you transacting in this market? Um, and the next thing to consider is what lifestyle do you want? Because um, there's so much more to home ownership than just thinking about value. Yeah. It's also about, well, what do you value? Of course. I've often said, like, people talk about, um, you know, the luxury home market. Yeah. And and I always, I struggle with this one, first of all, because the definition of luxury is very different in everybody's minds. So, yeah, of course. So we say, okay, well, a million plus. And, and, I, and I say that for a reason, because... What's luxury to me is not the same as luxury to someone else. That's a great point. Maybe you value just space and being yep. away from people. And there's other people who are going to value close proximity yes. to amenities and things like that. Definitely. And, and I think that's where when it ever comes to a housing decision, there's more to it. There's yep. also about what do you want in your home. Of course. Um, you know, you're not, if you're just doing this for an investment purpose, then you'd likely make a very deci different decision. Yes than you do if it's a home you're going to live in. That's where a lot of that personal stuff comes in. Yeah. Um, whereas for an investment, you might choose very differently. Yeah. So I, I think that it's important to differentiate that because a lot of people think they're, they're making decisions not just based off market conditions, but also based off their personal preferences. So Of course. The fact that you're going to live there and make a life. It's yeah. Right. Where you, kid, where you want your kids to go to school. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you've got a family or if you don't, right? Yeah. So how much space do you need and, and things like that. So. Well, thank you very much for coming on today and speaking to us and giving us this great market update. We're really glad that we could have you. You're welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. 
I just want to remind everyone that Krebs AGM is happening next Wednesday, April 17th at Krebs. It's taking place from 9 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. and you can register on Link. Just look for the AGM banner on the homepage. Thank you to everyone who tuned in for our very first podcast. Make sure you keep an eye on Krebs Talk uh, and stay tuned for our next episode.